0: Amen. He is great, isn't he? He is good. I hope everybody had a good Valentine's Day week. If you forgot about it, it's not my fault. I reminded you. I'm just going to throw that out there. And not only did I remind you, Jonathan did, him and the youth. I think they created a strawberry shortage in, in Hot Springs. I don't know how many strawberries they produced, but it was a bunch. I was thankful for it. My family benefited greatly from the chocolate covered strawberries we got. We, we ate them up. But anyway, I, I hope y'all, y'all had a great week. Uh, This past week, as we continue walking through the Gospel of John, we're uh, back in John's Gospel this morning. We're going to be looking at chapter thirteen. If you want to be making your way over there, uh, John chapter thirteen is where we're going to be this morning. We're going to look at the first thirty verses. I think Uh, we're going to make it down that far. That's my hope, my my ambition to make it through verse thirty this morning. As we continue. Uh, seeing why John wrote his gospel. Y'all remember? If you've been here, you remember? If you haven't been here, then I'll tell you. John wrote his gospel so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, we would have life in his name. That's why we're studying this gospel. We're studying this gospel so that we could see who Jesus is and that in seeing who Jesus is, we can have life in his name. And this morning is no different as we continue seeing who Jesus is. As we are going to open up his word this morning, we're going to find out how Jesus' humility cleanses our pride. How because of who he is, he gives us life in cleansing us from pride. How many of you, don't raise your hands, struggle with pride? Everybody, right? If we're totally honest, everybody struggles with pride. I know in Sunday school we ended up on a very heavy subject. And I was like, man, I'm just here to uplift everybody this morning. And here I am hitting you with another one right off the bat. Pride. Pride is what causes us to not say sorry when we should. Pride is what causes us to hold a grudge when we should forgive. Pride is what causes us to lash out when we should be kind. Like if we go through the list of the things in our life that we ought not do, very often pride is the source. And so this morning, we're going to look at a Savior who can release us, who can free us, and who can cleanse us from pride. And so let's open up with God's Word, John chapter 13. Let's look at verses verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. God, I thank you for the hope we have in Christ. God, without this hope, we would be without hope. We would be hopeless. God, help us not to be hopeless this morning. Show us Jesus. Show us the joy we can find in Jesus. Show us the hope we can find in Jesus. Show us the freedom and, and cleansing we can find in our humble Savior. Lord, help us to learn from his example. God, help us to to run to him for forgiveness. Help us, Lord. Help me. Help me preach. Help us hear. Help us obey. We pray all these in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so first, we have the summary statement in verse 1. We're going to get to the pride and humility here in a second. But as we walk through this, John, first he wants to give us a summary statement of the next well, all the way through chapter 17, really. And so we're, we're beginning a new section of John's Gospel. People call this the farewell discourse. This is his last hurrah, if you will. This is him giving his, his boys, his disciples, one last, here's what you need to know before I leave. That's what John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 are. It's Jesus' last speech. It's his last prayer. All of this is all contained in this, what we call the farewell discourse. And so John is telling us that Jesus knows he's about to go. He knows that he's about to head out of this world and return to the Father. He knows this. And, and so before he goes, John says he wants to make sure that we understand that he loves his people to the very end. He loves these men and he, these women who have followed him all the way to the very end. There's something else that we see here. Jesus is not going because someone is making Him go. He's not leaving this world because the Jews decided it was time for Him to go. He's not leaving this world because the Pharisees decided it was time for Him to go. He's not leaving this world because Satan decided or because Pilate decided or the Romans decided. He's leaving this world. He's going back to heaven because it is time. He has chosen that this is time. Him, the Father, the Holy Spirit, they have chosen that this is time, the time for Him to go to the cross and suffer on behalf of His people. And so before He goes, He's going to spend some time with His his guys, with His disciples, with the, the men and women who followed Him. Look at verse 2. We, we see some more background information we need to know here. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Him. So first off, it's before Jesus goes to the cross, right before He goes to the cross. Secondly, it is during supper... That he begins this speech and is also during supper that a, a certain someone is there. This man named Judas Iscariot. This man who will go down in history, it's synonymous with the word betrayal. He is also a part of the supper that Jesus is about to have. John is also foreshadowing for us the fact that Judas, the man who will betray Jesus is going to eat with Jesus. And so it's within this context that all of this is going on. So we understand that Judas is already beginning to think, how can I profit off of the death of Jesus? I mean, Jesus has made it clear he's going to die. That's his whole purpose in going to Jerusalem. He's told his disciples in no uncertain terms of going to Jerusalem to die. And so it's almost as if Jude, Satan has been whispering in Judas's ear, you might as well make some money. You might as well figure out a way to get ahead on this. I don't know if that's his only motivation. I'm sure it's not. But at least partially what he's thinking here is how he can betray Jesus. This thought has already begun to take place in Judas's mind. We'll come back to Judas in a while. But then look at verse 3. Jesus, and this is where we begin to see the humility that Jesus expresses. John tells us the reason Jesus expresses this humility here in verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Here in a minute we're going to see him get down and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. But before John introduces us to the fact that Jesus humbles himself to the point of washing the disciples' feet, he wants to point out that Jesus' reasoning for doing this, or at least partial reasoning for doing this, Is here in verse 3. He knows that the Father has given him all things into his hands, that he has come from God and he's going back to God. While we're here, while we're on point, I want to point out that the most humble people on the planet are also the most confident people on the planet. What I mean is, if you know who you are, then you really don't care if anybody else does. That's what John is saying about Jesus here. He knows the Father has given him all authority. He knows that He's going back to the Father. He knows that the Father has His back. He knows all of these things, yet He's going to express humility in the most amazing way possible. Guys, the point here is that Jesus' confidence leads to Jesus' humility. Sometimes we get it in our minds that humility is about thinking of less of ourselves, but it's not. It's about thinking of ourselves less. It's not saying, pretending that we're worse at something than we are. That's not humility. Humility is actually knowing who we are and not having to tell everybody about it. You see, Jesus, think about this, guys. He's the most confident human being to ever walk the planet. He is simultaneously the most humble human being to ever walk the planet. He makes the most amazing claims of anyone who has ever lived. He says things like, I am the Son of God. He says things like, kill me or destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it back up or I'll rebuild it. He says things like we saw in John chapter 12 where Mary is washing or uh, anointing his feet with this expensive ointment and they say you shouldn't do that. That's a waste of money. He says, no, it's not. I am worthy of that sacrifice. Why could he say these things? Because they're true. He is humble not because he is worth less. He is humble because he chooses not to demand the things that he has a right to demand. That's what real humility is. Real humility is, I mean, it is self-awareness. But you can't tell me Jesus had low self-esteem. You can't tell me that Jesus felt like he wasn't worth anything. Or that Jesus felt small. No, he knows who he is. He knows 100% who he is. Guys, this morning, if you're struggling with humility, maybe it's because you've forgotten who you are. Like You don't need anybody else to affirm you. You have the Father of the universe. You have God the Father as your Father. You have His Son as your Savior. You have His Son's blood spilled before you. That's for your sacrifice, for your salvation. You're, you're worth so much more than anything this world could ever give you because of who Jesus is, because of what you have in Christ. Maybe this morning you need to be reminded you're co-heir with the very King of the universe. Nobody can add to that. Nobody can take any of that away. You don't need anybody else as long as you know who you are. And so confidence actually leads to humility. We know that's true, right? The, the quietest person is the person you don't want to fight with, usually, right? They ain't got to tell anybody how bad they are. Everybody just knows it. Like, I mean, that's kind of who Jesus is. There's nothing that he is hidden from him. He knows exactly who he is in Christ. And since he knows who he is, look at verse 4. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, tied on, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And so here in verse 4, we begin to see the, the physical picture of the spiritual reality. Paul tells us in Philippians 2 that Jesus put aside his glory and took on the form of a servant. Here we see that's what Jesus is doing here. He has the mantle of master and teacher, but He takes the role of servant. He has the place of honor, but He takes the the lowest honor in the house. He goes from the master of the house to the lowest slave of the house. Why does He do this? Because He is humble. Because He knows who He is. The King of heaven has come down and put on the form of a servant. You think it's any further down for Him to go to put on the, the form of a, of a physical servant after He's put on flesh and blood and become a human on our behalf? No. That here He's teaching us this is exactly what He's done. And coming in the incarnation, He has showed the greatest humility we could ever imagine. And so He's teaching us this through this physical uh, picture. Look at verse 5. Then He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a the towel that was wrapped around Him. And so it, we know this. We know how nasty feet are, right? I mean, we can talk about feet today. Like, I'm sorry, but after my feet have been in my shoes all day, you, ain't, you don't want to smell them. You don't want to be near them. Like, Crystal makes me... She hates these shoes because a lot of times I don't wear socks in them, and so they just... Ugh, it's It's bad. And they smell bad. And so I can just imagine... Y'all didn't even know all that. I'm sorry. But, uh, but y'all can just imagine if you were flip-flops all day walking down a dirt road that where they don't have sewage, where they don't have all these different things that we have the benefit of having, and they're traveling by animal, not car. Y'all ever notice like the, the, the nice little buggy rides downtown? They have something in the back to catch all the stuff that comes out of the horse. They didn't have that. So imagine walking around in flip-flops or sandals, not really flip-flops, but walking around that all day. Then tell somebody you need your feet washed. That's what Jesus is doing. This is the job that's for the lowest-ranking member in the home. This is for the person who, who uh, is the, the bottom of the totem pole. And here Jesus is the one doing it while his disciples sit back and refuse to because they feel too pride, proudful, prideful. They feel like they're worth too much to stoop to such a level. And so Jesus, without saying a word, begins to go around and he's washing feet and he's cleansing the feet of these men who he has served the last three and a half years teaching them and sharing with them and loving them we'll come to verse 6 the guy we love right man we gotta love Peter if you don't love Simon Peter I, I don't know he, he's, he's one of my favorite characters in the bible or the favorite people that you read about in the bible because you just see us in here right he came to simon peter who said to him lord do you wash my feet captain obvious right like he's sitting there watching jesus go around watch everybody's feet and he gets to peter and peter's like oh my feet you're gonna wash my feet no peter i just thought it was funny to drag this bowl around the room you know like what are you talking about man and, of course, that's not what he really means. What he's getting at is, why my feet? You shouldn't wash my feet. He's, not only that, he's embarrassed by it. Wouldn't you be embarrassed? I, I was thinking about one of my first experiences in work. I worked at a gas station, and, and so one of the things we were supposed to do is mop the floor. Well, I was a teenager, and I didn't know real well about everything, and so there was stuff on the floor that I knew needed to be mopped, and me and a buddy worked there, and so we were both trying to ignore it longer than the other one, so the other one would have to mop it, right? I mean, I'm sure none of y'all have ever done anything like that. Well, so we're we're trying to avoid doing the thing we don't want to do, and I remember Tracy, our manager, seeing it on the floor, going and getting a mop and a bucket and coming over to start mopping it. We fought her for the mop at that point. We were embarrassed because our boss was doing something that we ought to have been doing. I don't know if that would work today. Maybe you don't care. But, but, but in my mind, I was absolutely embarrassed of the fact that I had refused to do something that the person who's my manager doesn't mind doing at all. And that's what Jesus is doing to these disciples here. He's saying, guys, you, you think you're too big for this? Here I am, your, your, your boss. Here I am, your Lord. Here I am, your Savior. And I don't mind doing it. Are you too big? Are you too proud to do this? These men were so run by their pride that they felt like anything like this was beneath them. Is that how you feel this morning when God calls you to serve? Like, man, I would do it, but that's beneath me. I'm over that. I shouldn't have to do that. No one should ask me to do that. Don't wait till the Master comes to make an example out of you. And so we, we get to his teaching moment. Jesus cleanses us, cleanses our pride through his humility. Look at verse 7. Jesus answered to Peter, Lord, will you wash my feet as well? And he says, in verse 7, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. I mean, you just got to love it. Like he's sitting there arguing with Jesus. Who does that? Peter does it. So do we. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Verse 9, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but my, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who was, whose babe does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean clean and so peter's like no this is too embarrassing you can't wash my feet and jesus says you're not part of me you have no share with me if i don't wash your feet to which peter says well then give me the whole package because my feet ain't the only thing that's dirty you don't know where these hands have been you don't know what's been in this head i I mean i need it all washed jesus and jesus is like dude this ain't no spa like i'm not gonna sit here and wash your whole thing like not everything you don't need it all let me wash your feet you don't get it yet you don't get the example." What Jesus is talking about here, you notice what He says, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for His feet, but is completely clean. What He's saying is, is His cleansing is complete. His washing is complete. This foot washing is simply a symbol of what Jesus is going to do when He goes to the cross and He spills His blood and, and He washes us through His sacrifice. It's the same thing that we talk about when we, talk, when we sing the old hymn, you know, uh, there's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains. Y'all know how it goes. I can't sing it. I won't put you through that. But, but that's what he does for us. His blood cleanses us. His sacrifice cleanses us. His going to the cross makes us whole and new because he didn't just go to the cross. On the cross he died in our place. He paid our sacrifice and then he rose again. And he offers to us the new life that he uh, has, the new life that he gives because of what he did. God, the, the blood of Jesus is nothing to be ashamed of. And I, I know it's not as cool or hip to talk about the sacrifice of Jesus anymore, about the fact that it was required for our sins. And in fact, it is embarrassing, right? To think about the fact that the, the very blood, uh, our very God had to bleed out on a tree, suffocating in his own lungs. Being, having God the father's wrath poured out on him for the punishment we deserve that's embarrassing we couldn't do it on our own we needed someone see so we don't but here's the deal as Christians we don't bury this truth we glory in it like we make the gospel the center of all that we do the fact that we are not worthy the fact that we do not deserve the love of God, the fact that we are dirty, the fact that we are sinful and we point out yes never I would never be able To deserve God's love. But the Savior came and he washed me. And he cleansed me and he made me whole. We was talking about old songs the other night. We talked about uh, that song, uh, Washed in the Blood. I was like, no, you can't say washed, it's washed, right? We don't sing it washed in the blood, it's washed. Have you been washed in the blood? Have you been made new? Have you been made whole through the sacrifice of Jesus? And so Jesus is saying to Peter, This is a physical picture of what I'm going to do for you spiritually when he goes to the cross. But then he says at the end of verse 10 here, but not every one of you. In verse 11, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said not all of you are clean. So the cleansing isn't for everyone. We'll see this again here in a minute. Jesus, of course, is talking about Judas. We'll get to Judas here at the end. Let's let's skip down to verse 12, though, because I want you to see that not only is it through His sacrifice that He cleanses us from pride, it's also through His example. It says in verse 12 here, when He had washed their feet and put on His outer garments and resumed His place. By the way, that's the author of Hebrews. Hebrews one three, makes a a point to, to mention this, that after making purification for sin, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. So again, we see this physical picture of the spiritual reality. So the second half of verse 12 here, He said... To them do not do you understand what I've done for you you call me teacher and Lord and you're right for so I am if I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet you also ought to wash one another's feet for I've given you an example that you should also that you also should do just as I've done to you then verse 16 truly truly listen up hear what I'm about to say to you a servant is not greater than his master. Nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So Jesus says, guys, do you get the point? If I, as your master, have done this for you, then what are you above doing for others? Now, in the physical picture that we have here, the foot washing, this is the most humiliating act someone can do. And Jesus says, I was willing to do this for you as your master. What is there beyond this that you can do for one another? But we know that this isn't just the physical action, that there's also a spiritual reality behind it, which is Jesus going and laying down his life for us on the cross, giving over his life, being punished in our place. Guys, if the Son of God was willing to do that for us, what is there that we should not be willing to do for each other? The answer is nothing. We we should never be filled with pride, always humility, always knowing that the Lord uh, has done more for us than we could ever do for one another. Knowing that He's been more humble than we could ever be and living according to His example, serving humbly according to His example. And I, I know many... Here, do this. We, we see this weekly. We see all the different... I see, most of you don't see, all the different people who work so that we can serve one another, so we can serve our community. Many people you have no idea about. Many people who do things you, you don't even have a clue about. I was thinking, you know, like, have you ever wondered how this magical thing behind me changes? You know, how does that happen? Well, you know, Kelly has to sit up there and change it for you. Why is it that you can hear me? Why well, Angie has to work the the sound, you know, you, you don't see them. Nobody knows what they're doing, but, but you get to see the, the fruit of their labor. We go through the list of Miss Jesse and all those who work in the nursery. We could, I, I thought especially about Miss Tammy this morning. We have lights. You know, she pays our bills. How does that happen? It doesn't just magically happen. Somebody actually has to do it. Guys, this is what Jesus is talking about. Being willing to serve one another without any thought about what anybody might ever know. Why would people do such things? Why would people give money without expecting anything in return? Why would people pray tirelessly for our church without anyone ever knowing? Why would people do this? Because even if no one else ever sees it, the Lord does. The one who has saved us, the one who has redeemed us, the one who has made us new. There is nothing that is too great or too amazing or too Uh, hurtful for us to do on his behalf. There's nothing that calls us to serve beyond what he has given us. His example is what we live by. Not only did he wash these guys' feet, he died in our place. I love what verse 17 says. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. We talked about this in our our small group uh, Wednesday night. Kelly leads as we go through the the book of James how it's not just about knowing it's about doing Jesus says you're blessed if you know these things and you do them it's about more than simply knowing the truth it's about acting on the truth knowing is only half the battle it's a a little lesson that my generation learned from G.I. Joe I don't know where everybody else is going to learn it from but knowing is half the battle we have to, to know the truth but we also have to obey the truth that he calls us into. And so I want to transition quickly uh, for time's sake into uh, verse 18. I want us to talk about Judas just for a minute this morning. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I've chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place that when it does take place you may believe that I am he truly truly I say to you whoever receives the one I send receives me and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me look at verse 21 and after saying these things Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified truly truly I say to you one of you will betray me the disciples looked at one another uncertain of whom he spoke and so Jesus drops this bomb on them in, in the middle of their meal he says hey guys by the way, one of you is my betrayer. Now we know from the other Gospels that they all began to say, Is it I? Is it I? I don't know. Could it be me? Could it be me? And so they are, self, uh, they are examining themselves, asking themselves, Is it me? Which is a good response. But then look at verse 23. <coughs> one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, that's John, by the way, the one who wrote this Gospel, one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. And so Peter, for whatever reason, is a little distance from John. Maybe he's right, from Jesus. Maybe he's next to John. Maybe he's a little further down. Whatever the case may be. Uh, Jesus says, One of y'all is going to betray me. So Peter catches John's eye and is like, Hey, ask him who? Like, you, you could just picture that. Like, what are you talking about? Like, what do you mean? And Peter looks at him he's like, ask him who? Who's he talking about? Who's he talk- is it him? Is it him? It's me? You know, like, you just picture this going on. And so Jesus, John leans over and he says, who is it? Look at verse 25. So that disciple leaning back against Jesus said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now, one, now no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money back, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. Here's a foreshadowing of the, the darkness that we see coming in Judas' life. I, I want to end with this. Jesus' forgiveness is available to all who believe. His forgiveness is available to all who believe. Now remember, uh, when, when, we, when we talked about Judas originally, it said that G, Satan had put it into Judas's heart to betray Jesus. He's thinking about it. He, Jesus, of course, knew that it was Judas who was going to betray him. And he tells his disciples that ahead of time so that they're not so floored and so shocked that they, they're not able to stand in the middle of it. But So he knows it. But Jesus has washed this man's feet, this man who will betray him, and now he hands him a piece of bread. He passes this piece of bread to Judas. He says, here you go, Judas. And I imagine, and I may be reading too much into it here, but I can almost... Imagine for Judas that here's the moment of truth. Now we know that this is all part of God's plan and all that but it's still Judas's choice. Satan has put it into his mind. And it's almost as if Jesus is saying here you go Judas one last shot buddy. Because John tells us that as he takes this bread Satan enters him. And it's almost like up to that point Judas was still considering it but at that point it was over. He had made up his mind. He would betray the Son of God. And and, and I bring this up because I can relate to Judas. I still remember the the Sunday I became a believer in Jesus. See, I was convinced before I became a Christian that I didn't need God. I thought God was real but I wasn't real sure that I needed Him. I remember I was working uh, down the road here at at the, the pawn shop and I was tricked <laughs> into going to church. God tricked me. Uh, there was this woman who came in with a, a not ugly daughter. Uh, and so they were from my area. Now, I'm not going to say she was pretty because I have a wife. And so she's not in here. And so y'all can't back me up on that. But anyway, so, so this, this lady that was with her mom came in. And they, they, she was attractive. And they were asking me where I went to church. I wasn't going to church anywhere. But I lied and said I was going to the church that I grew up in. And she said, oh, we're going to check that church out Sunday. I said I'll be there <laughs> I'm gonna, I'll check you out Sunday." like that was what was in my mind that's how far I was from God I didn't even think about anything else you know I went four weeks in a row and they never showed up I was so upset but in the process after hearing God's word over and over again it was like every week God was saying to me John that's about it buddy here's your one last shot are you going to believe or not are you going to trust or not? And he began to convict me and, and just squeeze my heart until I, I had, I felt like I had no choice it was either trust him and believe or do as Judas did and reject him and walk away. And I, I share that with you this morning because I, I have to think that there may be some of you here this morning who very much like that, very much like Judas, very much like myself. You, you, you know the truth, but you've never really submitted yourself to the Lord. You've never really said, God, I want you to be my king. I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be the guide of my life. Have you ever fully put your faith in him? Let me, let me give you some warnings, and I'm going to go through these quickly, but I, I want you to think about who Judas was. First off, he was close to Jesus. He walked with him for three and a half years. He knew Jesus as well as anybody knew Jesus. Don't think this morning because you know stuff about Jesus that gets you in. I don't care if you can name all 66 books of the Bible. I don't care if you can find Obadiah even. I know that's a great accomplishment. It really is. Try and find Obadiah when you get home. But that's not how you're going to get into heaven. It's through trusting on the person of Jesus Christ. Judas was trusted and respected by the other disciples. He's the guy who held the money. Like when Jesus says, one of you will betray me, no one says, it's Judas. No one even suspects him. He's the most trusted guy of the group. Because God is not going to take a vote of whether or not you should get into heaven. Do not base your salvation this morning on your reputation and on what other people think of you. He had first-hand accounts uh, of Jesus. He watched Jesus. He heard Jesus preach. Here's a a truth for all of us. There are some people that it doesn't matter what they hear and what they see, they will never believe. Jesus himself preached to this man, and this man still walked away. Don't believe that simply being under the preaching of the gospel will save you. You are called to respond. You're called to trust. The truth is, this morning, guys, all of us could be just like Judas, apart from the grace of God. Examine your heart and make sure that you have trusted in Jesus. Don't be ashamed if you haven't. Don't be embarrassed. Here, here's the thing, and I, I'll finish. I'm going to finish with this. The thing is, if you're here this morning, you've never put your faith in Jesus, and you say, "Well, I'm too embarrassed to admit that. I'm too embarrassed to admit I'm a sinner." Can I tell you what you have in common with everybody else in this room? Everyone else in this room, if they're believing in Jesus, one day said, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus. Everyone in this room who's ever put their faith in Jesus is was just like you are. There were no one comes out Christian. There are no such thing as Christian babies, right? I mean, we all come out sinners. We come out not following the Lord, not serving the Lord, and it's not until we put our faith in Him that we become believers. That goes for everyone. You have nothing to be ashamed of. You have nothing to embarrass, be embarrassed of other than rejecting Him. Put your faith in Him. Put your trust in Him. There is no shame. There's no, Jesus doesn't, isn't going to, to get on you and be like, I can't believe you haven't believed in that before now. No, He's going to welcome you in. There's no one here who's going to say, Oh, I can't believe that. They're going to say, Amen, Hallelujah, Praise the Lord. Someone else has come to Christ even as I came to Christ. And so I I want to encourage you this morning if you've never put your faith in Jesus to do just that. To believe on Him. To trust on Him. To ask Him to save you. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank You. I thank You for Your Word. God, I thank You for Your Gospel. I thank You for the good news about Christ. Lord, I pray that if there's any who don't know You that they would come to know You. Lord, we, we want to this morning confess before you that we are not worthy to worship you we are not worthy to honor you but you give us this privilege anyway and so we thank you lord help us god help us to to respond to you in the way that pleases you help us to respond to you in the way that honors you god i pray that you would draw us to yourself this morning we pray in jesus name y'all would stand with us and as you stand we're gonna have a time of invitation it's during this time that you're called to respond to the Lord would you come